Hi, and welcome back to Series 2 of Behind the Switch. I'm Sika Ganoku. And I'm Anna Sharita. In the last episode, we had Patrick Locklow and Doug Hurley from Synapse Energy Economics helping us identify some of the technical barriers slowing down the integration of renewables onto our grid. In this episode, we will be discussing everyone's favorite topic, politics. Yay! (laughs) So politics play a huge role in the feasibility and overall swiftness of our switch to renewables. And unfortunately, from what we can tell so far, renewables aren't very high on the current administration's political agenda. But regardless of this lack of federal support, there has been a push to get more renewable energy. So while there may not be an overwhelming amount of federal support for renewable energy, there are currently state-level policies and incentives in place that make a huge difference. So to talk more about these policies, we have asked Bruce Bewald, CEO and founder of Synapse Energy Economics, to answer a few questions for us. Why do you think, personally, that renewables are important? Well, I think think there's a... um, uh, reducing greenhouse gas emissions um, objective that has to be um, uh, at the top uh, or at least near the top of any reasonable long-term agenda. I mean, it's just absolutely imperative to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Um, so renewables are a key part of uh, a key part of the, those efforts. Um, there's all kinds of other benefits of renewables, you know, clean air, um, local benefits, uh, jobs, um, energy resiliency and security. Um, but I, I would put that climate at the top of the list. So just given kind of current politics and technologies, do you think that we could feasibly reach 100% renewables in the U.S. or New England specifically in the next 25 to 50 years? Um, yeah, I think that's um, technically feasible, economically feasible. I think the the pressing issue is what are we doing over the next five to ten years to get on a path toward that, and you know whether we squeeze those last few megawatt hours or gallons of fossil fuel out of the system in twenty forty and twenty fifty will be an important thing to think about in twenty thirty five. And for the meantime, I think what we really have to do is get to work on moving in the right direction at an appropriate rate. Are there any policies that have heavily encouraged using renewables, even though they might not be the cheapest option to dispatch? Production tax credit is one that's typically associated with wind energy. Basically, it gives a tax credit to uh, companies that install wind turbines for every hour that they produce electricity. And that's been instrumental in bringing wind wind turbines from a a research level technology to a commercial technology that's now providing a very significant fraction of the energy we get. The investment tax credit is analogous to the production tax credit in that it's a, a rebate for building new renewable energy resources, but where the production tax credit gives you a credit for every unit of energy you produce. The investment tax credit is just a a lump sum fraction of the capital costs. So for solar resources, it's 30%, I believe, of the capital cost that just becomes a tax credit. Uh, And at the state level, there's renewable portfolio standards, which say a fraction of our energy have to come from uh, wind or solar or biomass or hydro. Uh, And those, those standards 
set a minimum target, but they also provide a mechanism to give an additional economic incentive to get those resources online. But I just want to clarify one thing that you said. Uh, it's not just that they it encourages them to dispatch. It encourages them to get built. Usually, okay. wind and solar resources are free to dispatch because there's no fuel associated with them, which is one of the challenges. You don't want to, if you have a lot of wind and solar on your system, you don't want to just throw it away because it's the cheapest electricity you have because you're not paying anything incremental to generate it. Okay. So at, at the local level, there's just been small, like, siting and regulation changes that you don't hear about a lot but can be very impactful if you make it easier for developers to come into your state or come into your county and uh, assess a location for building a power plant and make sure you can you can actually get it sited and built there. I think that goes a long way. Can you speak on why it's important to subsidize these technologies? Whenever a technology is new, it's more expensive to operate or produce than other uh, technologies that have been vetted and built to scale. I think that that's one of the challenges in the, the research and innovation space is how do you go from academic or private research to uh, a commercial technology? And uh, one of those steps is building small to medium scale demonstration projects. But even beyond that, when a technology has value, but it's still more expensive to produce than the alternatives, you, it, needs, it needs a continued incentive to be produced. I think one of the challenges with wind and solar in particular is that we value the, the carbon-free and the energy security aspects of them quite a bit. Uh, but those aren't priced into the standard markets that we use. So they need some additional subsidy to reflect that value. There's been subsidy. I'm, I imagine there were all sorts of subsidies for coal plants as they were getting going. More, most of the coal and gas subsidies are more fuel-related, so making it easy for them to access low-cost fuel resources. But you, you can see parallels in the carbon capture and sequestration space. Uh, there's a couple new plants that have been built as demonstration uh, CCS technologies, that's the abbreviation we use, uh, and they've been subsidized heavily by the Department of Energy to encourage companies to invest in these new technologies, which otherwise would just simply be more expensive than competing technology. Do we ever have the case where some of these policies overlap and actually end up harming the push towards more renewables on the grid? Well, the policies um, often or always overlap. So you've got these layers of policies. And I suppose they um, sometimes might work at cross purposes. But uh, more often, I, I think of them as different um, complementary policies, in particular, if they're well-designed with the other policies in mind, they can work very well together. So you might have, a state might have, for example, a uh, procurement initiative. Hey, utilities, you will buy some amount of a particular type of resource, offshore wind. 
And there might also be an RPS so that um, such resources will qualify and get some support under a, a renewable portfolio standard with the, the RECs. And, and there can be all uh, other policies around tax incentives, investment taxes, or production tax uh, credits. And those all can fit together in a coherent way to um, promote the policies. And, and then um, where we have an overall climate goal, that can serve as the um, kind of overarching kind of backstop policies. So there's often um, debate about, oh, if you have a, do you need a CO2 cap or a policy to promote uh, renewable energy specifically through incentives or a um, energy efficiency uh, audit program or deployment of efficiency measures and as if those are alternatives when in fact they all very naturally and logically go together and if they're well designed can complement each other. Given that fossil fuel is still subsidized in the electric power system, a question to mull over looking forward to the next episode is what would the unsubsidized cost of fossil fuels be compared to other renewable energy technologies? And though there may be policy stagnation at the federal level, many states still have progressive energy policies and the numbers don't lie. The solar industry employs 260,000 people, while the coal industry employs only 76,000 people. The trends are all there. Job creation and increased economic power from renewable energy technologies are moving the grid towards more renewables. Thank you so much for joining us today. Next week, we'll be talking about what we can do to get more renewable energy. Uh, make sure you follow us at Climable on Facebook and Twitter. And Synapse Energy Economics at Synapse Energy on Twitter.